Hello, my friends. Welcome. My name is Joe. This is The Joe Martino Show. And today we're going to talk about the dangers of identifying with our hurt as our identity. How do we, how, how do we get out of that? What are the dangers of it? And how do we move forward and define ourselves with something more redemptive? Let's kick it off. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. Hey friends, welcome back. I hope today is going well for you wherever you are at. I want to talk to you today about something that's really probably hard for many of us to talk about, and that is the reality that we cannot identify as our greatest hurt. Often in our society, we've become so good at being conscious of trauma, and we're bringing that conversation into the regular vernacular of our everyday, and that's good. There is a danger, though, and that is people are starting to identify I feel that perhaps people are starting to identify with their hurt, as their hurt. In other words, it's a movement from saying this happened to me to saying this is who I am. And this was actually kind of on display during the Me Too movement. When it came out very popular, I talked about how sexual assault is not just a a reality for women, that it happens to men, that it happens to men frequently. And I got the most angry emails from people, you know, how dare you subvert something that is for women? How dare you suggest that men and women are equal in this? And I I wasn't trying to suggest that at all, but I was saying that, hey, the reality is that men are also sexually assaulted. And I know that this is true. And I think that the people who reacted very strongly against that, what was going on was that they were caught in this idea of their hurt is their identity. The first obvious problem with that is that it traps us into being stuck in something that happened to us in the past. Now look, I'm not saying that trauma doesn't happen because obviously it does, but we have to be able to separate it out from something that happened to us to something that is us because if it is us, we're trapped. We're stuck in the past and we can't heal and move forward. And I think that we're seeing this quite a bit today in that people are struggling to move past a hurt because it becomes their identifier. It becomes the thing by which they identify themselves themselves and by which they expect others to identify them. As we grow, we have to realize that we step away from that, right? At the age that I am today, I don't believe the same things that I believed 10 years ago. I don't even value all of the same things that I valued 10 years ago. And some of the things that I valued 10 years ago, I don't value today. And that same thing can happen with our traumas with our hurts, when we make them part of who we are, they trap us and they create a false identity about who we are. Just like we would never say to someone that they are the sum of their mistakes, nor are you the sum of your traumas. A very difficult truth to accept is that life is really hard. We often collect traumas as we go through life. Things happen. People lie about us. People intentionally hurt us. People hurt us that they don't intentionally do it. But it doesn't really matter whether or not they intended to do it. It still hurt. It still brought trauma. Now, perhaps their intentions creates a secondary trauma if they intended to do it. But the question is, who are you? Are you really this trauma? And often what we make our identity is the greatest trauma, right? The greatest hurt. I was listening to someone talk just recently, and she said that one of the things that we have to do if we're going to move forward is we have to stop looking back and identifying with our greatest hurt. And there's so much truth in that because of 
of these two reasons. It traps you into a false identity. Maybe that's all one reason. But when you get trapped into that false identity, you don't know how to move forward because you can't move forward and hang on to that trauma, right? And so you have to not hang on to it. You have to do the opposite of that, which is let it go. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But first, what are some of the problems with, you know, hanging on and identifying with our hurt is it traps us. It creates a false identity and it makes it really hard to heal. Life is really hard and we get tired and it's okay to get tired. It is okay to get weary. It is okay to be like, man, I don't know how much more I can put into this. Because life has seasons. In some seasons, you're like, man, I could just do this forever. Other seasons, you're like, whoa, how much more of this do I have to do? And it's okay. But we don't want to make it harder on ourselves. We don't want to make it more difficult by hanging on to something that is just depleting energy from us. We have to be intentional about what we do with things that put energy in our lives or take them out. That's probably a whole nother podcast. I'm reading a book about relationships. I recently read a book about relationships and their impact on our lives. And of course, the research is overwhelming that having relationships that we feel are filling us up is important. And they also require work. In fact, there's this whole matrix that the authors of the study created that I'm going to borrow and share with you, you know, about how much energy are we on the, the matrix of we're getting energy from it or we're losing energy from it. And then is it a frequent or infrequent interaction? And that's kind of the same thing with our trauma. And one of the problems with making our trauma our identity identity is that we tend to then run into an issue. We frequently engage in something that is depleting. We frequently engage in something that's depleting. And so what we have to consider is how do we come back from trauma? One of the ways we come back from trauma is we don't let it define us. We define ourselves by our response to it. This is why the idea of let it go rarely works for people is because we think, oh, I got to let it go. That means it'll never come back into my mind. That's not accurate. What is accurate is when you let it go, you let it go by defining yourself by something else. Whatever it is, whatever we're letting go, we have to replace. And so what we have to do is we have to replace that identity piece of our trauma by making our response our identity piece. And so, you know, I think about different things that happen to people and often they get stuck and they think that that's the only story that tells their lives. And in reality, we know that that's not true intellectually, but emotionally our hearts run away with us and push on the idea of, but what's going on in my life? What can I do to respond to it? And you know, you can see this if you go with really big events read stories of people who went through the Holocaust and were in the camps. They don't define themselves by their traumas. They define themselves by their responses to the traumas. The founder of existential therapy, Viktor Frankl, he talks about how in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he talks about how people responded differently to the situation they were in. And that was what he used to define them, them and himself. They all went through the same traumas. They all were in a place literally designed to exterminate them. And some people have responded with incredible generosity and graciousness, while others responded with spitefulness and hatefulness. And so one of the things that happened was he talks about how it isn't what's going on, it's how we respond to it. And we need to learn to define ourselves by our responses, by what we do. Now look, sometimes our greatest trauma is self-inflicted. That's a truth that I can't get around. There are certainly times where people make mistakes, they do things, maybe they weren't even a mistake, they made a bad choice, they were tempted to do something, and they did a bad thing. Even that doesn't have to define you. And this is where we get the phrase, you're not the sum of your mistakes. But we have to translate that to you're 
also not the sum of your traumas, right? And traumas happen to us. How we respond is our choice. And sometimes we invite that response, but we still, we have to define ourselves by our response to the trauma. This is how we let that identifying piece go. Who are you? What have you done in spite of your trauma? And sometimes it's very difficult to see what you've overcome. Sometimes it's very difficult to see how far you've come because the amount of space that you want to go is a long distance. If you think about it like a long road trip. I live in Michigan. Spring break's coming. A lot of people are going to be driving to Florida, you know, 24, 26, 30 hours on the road. And if, you know, they're 13 hours in, that's a long road trip. And they're 13 hours in and they could be, man, we still have 10 hours. We still have 17 hours, but you've come 10. Now it's not a perfect example, a perfect illustration, but in your life, how far have you come? And maybe you're like, Joe, I haven't come that far. That's okay. Have you come any distance? Even if the answer is no, the best time to start would have been whenever you, whenever the trauma happened would have been a best time to start responding to it. The second best time is right now. What does it mean for you to respond to your trauma to define yourself, to define who you are? One of the things that I often share with clients is, is they have to be careful about how they talk to themselves because often we will use I am language, right? You'll hear people say this, especially about ADHD. Oh, I am ADHD. Nope you may have ADHD and not that necessarily that's a trauma, but it's a good illustration point. We would rarely say I am cancer. What is your trauma? What is the thing when you, when you say those two words, I am, what's the next words that come and how many of them are trauma centered? What we want to do is we want to use words that actually speak to who we are, not to what has happened to us. So I am what comes next. And you know what? I have some traumas in my life. I have some things that have happened that were very difficult to overcome. I have some that probably still rear, rear their heads at me. And defining myself in those terms, I am, I need to be careful what comes next. I need to use the utmost caution in the words that come next. Because one of the things that we think about is, and I've talked about this before, but one of the things we think about is that we, when we talk to other people, we need to be kind and we need to be gracious and we need to be encouraging. But we talk to ourselves too. Very few people do do not talk to themselves. And even those who don't, quote, talk to themselves, they still hear their own voice. They're still affected by what they say. If you want more information on that, look up the work of Amy Cuddy, C-U-D-D-Y. She talks a lot about how one of the things that people tend to take for granted is the impact that their words have on them. I think that we're becoming more aware as a society that we need to be careful with the words that follow I am when we're talking about identity. But we don't think about it much like in terms of our trauma. For instance, you know, people when they, I was having a conversation with someone time with somebody and they said, well, you're a counselor. I said, yeah, but that's what I do. That's not who I am. That's something I engage in. And certainly in the helping professions, it gets a little tricky. You know, you think about pastors or priests, you know, they are pastor, priest, doctors, maybe police officers, firefighters. But we need to think about what follows the words I am in terms of how we identify ourselves in relation to whatever traumatic events we've been through. What do we look at as the trauma and what do we look at as internal? What do we look at as external? So what do we mean by that? Well, okay, often what we do is we look at the trauma and we think that somehow something that happened to us defines us. I, I've talked about this before, not set in stone, set in sand. We look at it typically as set in stone when reality says it's set in sand. And we get to decide what we do with the thing that's set in sand. We can move it. We can leave it there. We can build around it. We can build on top of it. We can do whatever we need to do. And so when you start talking about your trauma, whatever your trauma is, whatever your hurt is, do you hang on to it? 
And sometimes, and this is the thing that trips us up a little bit, is that sometimes we think that the trauma is what created the emotions. And in reality, as Albert Ellis pointed out many, many, many years ago, it's not the trauma that creates the emotion in us. It's what we believe about the trauma and about ourselves because of the trauma that creates the emotion in us. So it really comes down to what do you believe about yourself because of the trauma? That's what's driving your emotions. That's what's driving your feelings. That's what's driving the things that create your identity. And so we have to go after that. Internally, what does our trauma mean? The truth is your trauma doesn't mean anything internally until you give it the power to mean something. If someone whatever did whatever to you, that does not define who you are internally. Yeah, but you I have trust issues now. Yep, but those trust issues can be dealt with they can be countered. And by the way, they're external. Uh, in, in other words, you're externally. Now, there are some people, they have internal trust issues. Like, I'll never trust my own opinion again. Okay, that's a little extreme, right? However, if the, you went through an extreme trauma because of a decision you made, a st- extreme hurt, that might seem like a really good coping mechanism. This is one of the things we have to come back to is we need to come back to and look at our coping mechanisms and we have to seek healthy ones. I'm not sure that anybody gets through life without coping mechanisms. I've heard people talk like, oh, you should be coping mechanism free. I don't know how you do that because life is constantly a struggle. It is difficult. It's awesome and it's wonderful and it's fantastic. But like just yesterday, my daughter's cat died suddenly. There's a lot of emotional pain there that then flows from that. And it's traumatic. Now that is not traumatic as someone maybe who went through a sexual assault or domestic violence situation. I understand that. But for my my 18-year-old daughter, that's very traumatic. But what the question that I have for her now, I, I didn't ask her this. All I did was hug her yesterday and, you know, helped her bury the cat. Cat and was just there and present. But at some point, if, if she talked about, I'm never getting another cat because they could die, I'm going to ask questions like, well, what does that mean? What, what, are, what are you gaining by avoiding risk? What are you gaining by avoiding the pain? What are you, what is it costing you by avoiding the pain? And we have to really look into what is it that is driving ourselves. Like that's a coping mechanism. I'm never going to get a cat again. Is it a healthy coping me- mechanism? Probably not. And so how do we lean into, hey, this is what going on? Well, we have, we've got to do three things. We've got to define ourselves by our responses, not the trauma. We have to seek healthy coping mechanisms, and we have to really, really be careful and very conscious uh, about what we say after I am. What are you doing because of your trauma? What do you believe about yourself because of the trauma? What do you believe about the world around you because of the hurt? What do you believe about people in general because of the hurt? It takes courage to be in a relationship, any relationship. It takes courage to re-engage the world after the world has hurt you. And some people are like, Joe, I don't have the courage. That's okay. You don't necessarily have to have it today, but you do at some point have to have it if you're going to live a healthy and fulfilling life. And that's really what I want for everybody is I don't believe we were made just to survive, but to thrive. And so if we're going to live and we're really going to suck the marrow out of life, as Emerson said, we're going to have to engage activities in which we were previously hurt. Now, we can do it with more knowledge. We can do it with more information, but we can't allow our pains to become our identifiers. We can't allow our past hurts to be the things that define us into the future. We have to shape that by actively thinking about the future and acting in the present to make it so. All right, I hope that you enjoyed this episode, a short episode today, just hopefully challenging all of us to consider what are we defining ourselves with and how much of our past traumas and hurts are we using to define ourselves and how healthy is that? And what could we do differently to be more healthy in the future? If you like this, please share it with three of your friends. We find value in sharing things with our friends, especially 
actually things that help us all live better. Feel free to give it a review. If you have any questions, you know where to reach me. Send me an email. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.